you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And J-Mac and Adam B are on tap to help us navigate the show today. I want to talk about uh, Civilization's Only Hope. Okay. And, um, and I want to look very specifically, because I think sometimes it's super easy to say um, the only hope is Jesus. Right. Like, I, yeah. I think people say that. And, and that is true. That is the reality. Right. So I want to make sure that I'm very careful here. But I, I want to be specific. Right. Because the reality is that the only hope for our civilization is Jesus Christ. But that hope is a very specifically designed hope. Right. right. So what do I mean when I say that? And maybe that's not the best wording, but but let me kind of unpack that for a second here so that we can really get into a super um beneficial conversation about what that hope hope looks like. Mm -hmm. We have been entrusted with the gospel. Yes. We have been entrusted with the proliferation of the gospel in every culture that we exist. We are um, light bearers. That's what we do. And so when we talk about civilizations, only hope, it's easier to say the only hope, is Jesus, but then remove yourself from any responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like to say, well, the only hope is Jesus. Mm-hmm. As as if we have not been entrusted with telling people who Jesus is, mm-hmm. living according to who we say he is, right? right? Um, which we would call a biblical worldview. We would call that living as a Bible-believing Christian, um, a Bible-living Christian, because there are people who believe that the Bible is is true. They believe the Bible is good, but they're just not apt to live that out, right? They're, they're like, there's kind of a disconnect there. Yeah. So I'm looking at um, several stories here, and I was just thinking through, like, okay, what does this really mean um, that civilization's only hope is Jesus if it doesn't include the work that we do and the position that we take in culture on issues that are very specific issues that we have to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. So specifically, I'm looking at um, the the radical decline on issues of human sexuality in our culture yeah. that are shocking for people to recognize that we have to respond to that. Mm-hmm. We actually, we have to say something. We have to speak out. We can't be quiet. We can't say, well, you know, I'm just going to make sure that that my kids and my grandkids understand. Like we actually are tasked with taking those hard positions in culture, doing the difficult work, um, because the only hope for civilization is Jesus. And we have been entrusted with making him known. Amen. So I, I hope that people are checking with me that I'm being very specific here because I think that what has happened is that we look at these headlines and I'm going to get into some of them. Um, but we look at these headlines and then we say, oh, man, you know, the, the only hope is Jesus. 
The only hope <laughs> is Jesus. And, and indeed, I've said that. Mm-hmm. The only hope is Jesus. What I have meant is that we've got to tell people who Jesus is. Right. Like I, wh- what I have meant and what I thought I was implying is that there is a work for us to do, right? There is a That's work right. for us to do in telling the truth and discipling our children right. in living the scriptures. Yes, yes. And even in the Bible, it talks about us having the ministry of reconciliation. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. So we're not born again to be inactive, like, you yes. know, and to say, uh, well, in the sweet by and by, you know, like there's a work that we are to do here. We are to occupy till he comes and work while it is day, you know? Yes. And so you're right. Like there can be this kind of sense that, you know, well, shaking our head syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, the world needs Jesus. Yes. And we are the one that's going to present Jesus yes. to the world. Yes. That man. And that is the beauty and the sub- simplicity of what I'm hoping that we can talk about today. Mm-hmm. The gospel applied to the life of the believer expressed boldly mm. and at great personal risk mm. is our civilization's only hope. Mm. Now, I don't know if you can boil that down any further, but I, I want to, with great specificity, talk about what I think the time has presented for the Christian to do, for the the unapologetic Christ follower. Because here's the here's the question, and and, and I was asking this question of you a couple couple days ago, maybe even more. I don't know, I lose track of days. But recently I was asking you the question. If as a person who professes to be a follower of Christ, Mm -hmm. we do not accept all that Christianity presents, why is it that we would claim any of it? Mm -hmm. Like if it's not all of Christianity, if it's not all of the scriptures where the scriptures are prescriptive, that there is something prescribed for us, if it's not all of that, why any of it? And I want us to think about this. Like I want even for the faithful among us and maybe the casual observer, I, I don't know where you might be. But my question is this. If you would call yourself a Christian, if you would call yourself a Christian, my question is this. If not all that that life calls us to, if yeah. not all that that label or that recognition calls us to, if not all of it, why any of it? Yeah. Like, so, for example, if you would say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a Christian like that. I really believe that we need to be affirming of people. We need to, you know, we need to be supportive and and we need to see our schools be more inclusive. There are many people who would identify themselves as Christians who would say things like this. We're going to get into some articles here to kind of show you where we are. Okay, but there there are many Christians who would say this. And so my question is, if the Bible condemns, among other things, these acts this behavior, this identity, very specifically, right? If the Bible condemns these things, how how do we say I am a Christian? How have you come to know how have you come to know Christ, right? And not accept all that the Bible asserts, but hmm. still claim to know Christ. That is that is the question that I have. Yeah. And I think it's something that is so pressing on the believer today. The true, genuine follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the, the pressing question is, do you, do you have a responsibility in mm-hmm. the generation that you live in? <laughs> yes. Are we accountable to God for what we do with the truth that we say we believe? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And do we have a track record of looking at, like, do we have a historical record mm-hmm. where we can see the difference um, that was made by true followers of Christ 
true Bible-believing Christians in the cultures that they existed in? Did they change that culture? In other words, and this is going to sound very like, um, you know, Hollywood-ish, I, and I don't mean it to sound that way, but but did Christians save civilization? Hmm. Did did Christians change cultures in every generation? Did genuine Christians change cultures? Did they shift the culture? Did they redefine where where the culture was for the better? And and, and I guess for the better it seems a little bit um, short sighted, but for the best. For, for all of eternity. Did Christians do that? And I think the answer is yes. You, you even have secular um, historians and you have secular social scientists who would say that there is something about Christianity that has benefited civilization. Mm-hmm. Even though people would try to move away from that in a modern context, they would try to redefine marriage. We've got to, the Republicans are having a problem right now. <laughs> but you know what? Will the Great, look, let me yeah. just say something. So I want to go back and I want to I want to be on record here because you talked about this in, I think, very uncomfortable terms that the real question is, okay, so what are the Christians going to do? And this and I'm going to paraphrase here, but I think this gets pretty close to what you expressed. Mm -hmm. What are the Christians going to do when the Republicans move away from them? Pretty much. What are the Christians going to do? Because we started looking at all of the different points of like, you know, affirmation and all of the all of the softness around the edges. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, right. OK, hold on a second. There's, there's that soft over there. That's kind of tender over there. Like, what, what are we doing here? And now here we are. We're at this place where uh, increasingly you politically speaking, you've got even Republicans who are just like, you know, the whole marriage thing. Like, I mean, I don't know that we need to. I don't know. That's yeah. an early 2000s fight. Yeah, I think that, you know, it was already being signaled that. They were that's going where we're going that, yeah that, that direction you know and so it was like a matter of, of time and so you see they're beginning to vote and go <laughs> in that way you know and it's like man uh, I knew it would only be a matter of time you did you did you said this and you, and you asked the question and I think sometimes really there is there is an unwillingness to to believe that w- some of the things that we observe those of us who are Christians, some of the things that we observe, sometimes there's an unwillingness on our part to say that those things are imminent. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just sort of like one of these days, one of these days. And really the expression of one of these days is sort of like this empty hope that that won't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. One of these days we're going to look up and they're (laughs) going to, you know, but, but I don't want to deal with that today because that's not today. Right. (laughs) Rather than seeing that as imminent, like something that is kind of like right there on the brink, you know, what we're talking about with our children, the hypersexualization of our children, the robbing our children of a healthy existence, the increase of suicide ideation among our children, this is to be laid squarely at the feet of radical liberals who have confused children over their sexuality. Like, this is not a conservative problem. This is not something that we are facing because the conservatives are so buttoned up and the conservatives are so straight-laced and, and so they have <laughs> causes. No, that's, that's actually not the problem. The increase in suicide ideation, the, 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 the depression and the trauma that our children are experiencing in this country today, not only in this country, in the world indeed, but in this country specifically, is the result of liberal ideology foisted upon kids, pumped out into their schools in every area of their existence, causing immense confusion and then tying the hands of parents so that parents cannot effectively speak to those issues. Mm. Making the parents irrelevant in the eyes of the kids and then the parents believing it. And so then, therefore, removing themselves from the discussion is why we are where we are today. Yeah. And it's not over. The move continues. The push continues. And so I, I try to be careful in, like, issuing 
clarion calls. Like I try to I try to be careful, especially like with with the things that I think, you know, could make people like, oh, well, Miki, you just don't understand. Not everybody's able. And and, and I try to understand that people are at different places here. But I, I want to share. We're going to look at two articles, one from The Daily Caller and one from The Daily Signal. And and just this this is so where we are. Right. That what I'm what I'm what I'm going to present today and, and, and indeed what I'm building up to here is that our civilization is crumbling and you as a Bible-believing Christian, now please understand what I'm saying and the implication. This is why I'm trying to be very specific in the way I set it up. Mm-hmm. You are civilization's only hope. <laughs> Not you detached from Christ, but you because of Christ Amen. are civilization's Amen. only hope. And you're like, well, Miki, why can't you just say Jesus is civilization's only hope? Because it robs you of responsibility Come if on. I stop there. That's good. Because if I say that, it's like you have this picture that Jesus is going to just swoop in, right? And then like, hey, he's going to operate here. He's going to operate here. He's going to do this. No, Jesus has elected to do those things through you, which is why you are filled with the spirit of God. Mm. Because the intent is that Jesus is going to work through you in every culture that you exist in until he returns again. He has elected to use you. He doesn't need to use you. He doesn't have to use you, Mm. but he has elected to use you. And our failure has largely been the result of our lack of understanding that we have this feeling that we are going to walk around as sort of like these Christian zombies that we're just, we're just going to be walking and, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden Jesus is going to swoop in and go down to our kid's school district. Come on. And then we're just going to be walking (laughs) and then we're just be going along. And then all of a sudden Jesus is going to just show up and tell our church leaders that, Hey, that's actually not in scripture. No, Jesus has equipped you to do that. Yes. You are filled with the spirit of God. So the result of that is the ability to do things that on your own, you wouldn't normally be able to do to give you the boldness to do those things that on your own, you're a coward Come on, on your own. You're afraid to be disliked, but Jesus anticipating that fear and anticipating that potential failure has set you up to win by not only saving you, but filling you with his spirit so that you could occupy until he came back. Amen. Amen. So, so at the risk of sounding, Real like once upon a time here. I, I don't want to sound like I'm like I'm this is not scripted radio, right? Like you are civilization's only hope, but you are. <laughs> what is the re- you are? What did the followers, the early followers of Jesus Christ did uh, do? Indeed, the, the apostles, what is it that they did? They turned the world upside down. Mm. So in a very real sense, not in this pie in the sky, like, oh, maybe. No, they were civilization's only hope. And why were they civilization's only hope? Because Jesus made it that way. He right. made it such. All right. We'll grab the break. We'll be right back. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. Everybody is becoming something. We're all becoming what we behold. Everybody wants to find their purpose. Oh. Everybody wants something more. Cause if I'm gonna be more of anything, I just wanna be more like you. If I'm gonna be more of anything, I just wanna be more like you. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's like you, Aaron Cole, Turn Wells, and Toby Mack. Uh, today's topic is civilization's only hope. Um, <laughs> you. 
you. <laughs> God did this on purpose. Amen. Like we have been entrusted with the gospel and we have a tremendous task. And, and I think that we have said, we have said, um, Jesus is our only hope. Like we look, we look at the state of our nation um, and, we, and we've said Jesus is our nation's only hope. The only hope for our country is Jesus. Like it's this, it's the gospel. But what we didn't realize we were doing, and not for all of us, but for a great many of us, as is indicated in the state of the country, okay? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> that's why we're here, right? We kind of had this um, laissez-faire, um, that is to say this hands-off um, concept of the gospel and this hands-off concept of what it is for Jesus to be our country's only hope, as if Jesus were going to do something differently in our age than he did in the age of the disciples, the age of the apostles, where, no, he used those men. Amen. He used those men, and it was reported that they were turning the world upside down, that those men, those 12 men, like, that, that they were doing something extraordinary and showing themselves, <laughs> man, to be, to be worthy to have been entrusted with the gospel. Mm. And yet here we are, um, 21st century. And we kind of have a different thought. We, we are, we don't say this, but we're almost living as if there is going to be something differently done that doesn't include us getting dirty. Like we're, we're not going to have to, um, be disliked. We're not going to have to face that persecution that is written in scripture. You know, we leave that for our brothers and sisters in other countries. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, over there in Nigeria, oh my goodness, Nigeria. And, top of the brain because of the reports coming out of Nigeria. But we leave that for them. We're like, you know, those are the people that are going to, it's going to get hot for them. And so we kind of remove ourselves from that persecution. I think part of our removal of ourselves from that persecution is that we haven't understood what has been entrusted to us. Hmm. So, so probably the reason it's been kind of easy for us, right. Is because what we've presented to people, if we have presented it at all has been kind of easy for them. When you tell people hard truth, there's going to be a turning away. There there are going to be people. I mean, we're not greater than Jesus. Jesus spoke hard truth. Read it. John chapter six. And, and people turned away. Yeah. John chapter six, verse 66. People turned away. It's interesting that it's six, six, six. They turned (laughs) away. Right. And what does Jesus say to them? Like to the, to the disciples who remain. And this is when Jesus is saying um, that you've got to eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Go mm-hmm. read it. Go get it in context. Cause you might stumble just like some of them did. <laughs> so you got to go read that. Right. Cause they're talking about bread from heaven. And, and, and Jesus is like, I am the bread from heaven. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the bread of life. Right. And, and they turn away cause they're like, they're confounded at this. They'd already been fed, you know? And so they're like, wait, what? This is a hard <laughs> saying. Who, who, who can bear this? And they turn away. But what's interesting, and, and, and I think it's so worth pointing out, is that Jesus doesn't like go, you know, Birkenstock running after them. Right. Jesus is like, this is what it is. It is what it and is. And then he turns to the disciples who are there and he's like, do you want to go too? What y'all going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> it's, hey, you're up to bat. What are you going to do? And it's the apostle Peter's like, where else are we going to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Mm. And Jesus is like, bet. <laughs> flesh and blood has not revealed that to you right only only those who are drawn by the spirit of god the spirit of god reveals that so for you to understand that and understand what that what that means what that costs okay and for you to still be standing here all right is evidence that the spirit of god has drawn you but yet here we are we're, we tell people a hard truth right like we tell we tell people a hard uh inscrutable truth <laughs> excuse me i'm already because I know where I'm going. So I'm laughing at, I'm about to be facetious here, but we tell people a hard inscrutable truth and they can't search it out that, 
that there is male and there is female. <laughs> and then they turn away and we're like, wait, 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 wait come, 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 hold on a second. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Maybe there is a space that we haven't carved out for you. Like, no, we need to, we need to be like Jesus. Everybody is talking about being like Jesus. We need to be like Jesus, meaning we need to tell hard truths. And then for people who turn away, we need to say, hey, do you, are you, you guys want to go too? <laughs> like, why? This is what, this is scripture. Yeah. All right. So civilization's only hope as we watch the decline as we watch, I, I, when I look at what is happening in our country right now, the only um, metaphor that I can envision for this is sort of like the final swirling down at the bottom of the toilet. You know, that last before it's like, like when it's out, you know, it's, it's sort of that is, that is where we are. That is where we are. I mean, the decline is so pronounced and the increase of the decline is so pronounced yeah. that, that there is no way that you could say, oh, we're still we're doing we're doing good. No, we're not. We're not doing good. Mm-hmm. We're not doing good. We have um, we have wrecked. We have wrecked at least two generations of children. But I would go back even further than that. But we have we have increasingly and with great intensity wrecked our children and parents are still unwilling to admit that our children are wrecked. Mm. And so we keep our children in a context where they continue to be wrecked and they continue to be confused. And then we're like, I just don't understand why the country is just like this. I just don't understand. And, and yet we continue to make disciples for the country's decline. And I, and I would say that part of the wrecking is uh, inactivity on the part of us as parents. Like, and, and that the discipleship is happening, but by the people that we don't desire it to happen. By. Yes. You know, so if we yes. have if we have a lazy approach or hands off, like, you know, t- mm-hmm. man, someone will disciple our children. Someone's going to put hands on. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of it has been us being very lax and the enemy or people that we don't desire to disciple mm-hmm. coming in and saying, oh, man, look at this opportunity. I yep. can get the next generation and the next one. That's you right. Know? That's right. And look, and, and, and here's the thing. I was thinking about our brother, Jerry, who called in uh, last week when we were in North Carolina at Camp Refuge. And one of the things that he said really stuck in my brain. And I was actually praying about those comments that he made kind of to begin his the rest of his comments. He kind of set it up by saying, and I'm going to paraphrase here. Mm-hmm. He said, I think for parents, some parents who are listening to you guys talk about discipleship and talking about impacting kids lives, it can it can seem really overwhelming. Yeah. It can seem really daunting. And that just kind of really... I, just stuck in the front of my brain and I was praying about this and I was asking the Lord, like, what is it about that task as parent? What is overwhelming about that? Like what, what is it that we, cause I think his comments are legitimate. I think that's right. why so many parents pull back because it's like, Oh, I, don't, I just, and so I was thinking like, what is it that's overwhelming? And one of the thoughts that I had was, I wonder if parents believe that the discipleship actually produces fruit. Like, can our kids actually be changed by that point of contact? Can they be changed? And, mm. and if you look at the culture, they can be. Because look at what the culture has been able to do. And I don't mean to personify the culture. I understand the culture is made up by people. But you do have a subcontext in any culture. Yeah. Right? So our majority culture is sin. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I don't. I, don't, I mean, you know, I'm not a social scientist. It's probably a better way to describe that. It's made up of different people groups. The majority culture in our country is sin. Okay, the, the, the majority culture, because people always want to talk about the majority culture and their privilege. Yeah. Okay. So the majority culture in America 
is, is wickedness, is sin. It's rebellion against God. So if you are a Bible believing Christian, if you believe the word of God to be good and right and truth uh, and true and worthy to be applied, yeah. then you're a minority. Yeah. Okay, you're a minority. You you are on the outskirts. You're the outcast. You're you're you are sort of like the pariah of culture. Okay, <laughs> so 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 hey, congratulations. You're an underprivileged people group. There you go. But the majority culture, the majority culture, is sin. It is rebellion against God. And look at the incredible gains that majority culture has been able to make because of consistency, because of like staying on message because of recognizing the importance of the point of contact that they have with kids. So here's this article. This is from the Daily Caller. Queer all school year. Los Angeles school district forces gender theory into classroom. All right. This is authored by Reagan Reese. The largest public school district in California is teaching a curriculum promoting transgenderism and gender theory to children, according to public documents. This is, by the way, if I'm getting this right, the second largest school district in the country. Wow. So it's the largest school district in California, the second largest school district in the country. Mm. All right. Um, the Human Relations, Diversity, and Equity Department at Los Angeles Unified School District is using presentations, training programs, and clubs to instruct K-12 students on gender identity, according to public documents. Mm. This was first reported by City Journal. These uh, documents include classroom instruction materials and district-sponsored event calendars. The, quote, trans-affirming curriculum first appeared during the 2020-2021 academic school year. But, you know, I was doing a little research here because um, in the book, Irreversible Damage, um, authored by Abigail Schreier, she actually references this woman. And let me pull out this book here because I was, I was reminded of this as I was reading this article. Mm-hmm. She interviews... This woman by the name of Judy Chasson, I think is how you say her name, C-H-I-A-S-S-O-N. You go look her up. Go look her up. And her title, let's see, she is uh, the program coordinator for human relations, diversity and equity for the Los Angeles Unified School District, the second largest school district in the United States, with more than 600,000 students attending more than 1,200 schools. Judy Chasson oversees all policy with regard to sexual orientation and gender identity education in her district. So I was looking her up and I, I kind of, I was like, you know, who, who is this woman? And I came across this interview that she did sort of this panel discussion um, that she did back in 2011, back Mm -hmm. in 2011. I was like, wow, she's been at this for a long time talking about, (laughs) um, you know, pushing Mm -hmm. uh, queer, um, instruction in, in the public school system in Los Angeles in particular, but really hoping that it would spread and evangelize the country mm. using that word on purpose, evangelize the country. But as I was looking for this, cause I wanted to know how far back did she go? And I thought, okay, well, I found this article from 2011 and, and, or this interview from 2011. And then I found another article, a presentation that she did from 2010. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, it's been going on for a long time. But in the video that I watched as she was sitting on this panel, in 2011, she talked about safe and affirming campuses as far as Los Angeles is concerned. Safe and affirming campuses since 1988. Wow. Since 1988. Mm. And in this interview, she's talking about how they had pushed to include the queer community in every aspect of kids education. Because what she said, and I'm paraphrasing here, she said, we didn't want LGBTQ plus representation on pages 110 to 115 in any given book. 
We didn't want that to be a part of just, you know, sexual health education. What she went on to present is that because what we have is we have queer contribution in every aspect of American living. And we want that to be as natural to kids as anybody else who would be presented in a textbook. Now, here's my question. If that goes back to 1988 and here we are today. Wow. Wow. Does time and consistency matter? You yes. you bet. You bet. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Wow. You, you better believe it that time mm. and consistency matters, because if you go back to 1988, Right. And you're saying, oh, we just keep pushing. Mm. We just keep pushing. And so many parents can't understand why their kids come home and they wow. are their enemies. Wow. Why they hate you. Why they think that you're hateful. Yeah. Why they think that you just don't understand people. Yeah. Why they think that the scriptures are irrelevant. So you go to the Bible because you have entrusted them to people who've been pushing an agenda, an effective one, because of multiple points of contact for wow. decades. Man, I would say this. The one thing that uh, out of this that's encouraging for me is that. If we start now and and are serious about what we're doing as far as discipling our children, we can make those those, those same gains for righteousness. It's but we not have to too start. Late. We have yeah. Because the, I think some of the feeling is like, man, it's just overwhelming. Like, can we mm-hmm. really make a dent? Can we really Yes, and like, we can. Y- yes, we can. And and the thing is to borrow a phrase. Right. Sorry, <laughs> and the thing is you can look at this lady and say, Wow, she's been hit at the same spot for you know, year after year after year, day after day, and look mm-hmm. where this country has gone. Come on. But in, like, in a way of righteousness, why can't we take seriously with the power of God to do, you know, what we're supposed to do and, and, and see the results that he would want us to have? And, and I believe that those results will be seen. Mm. Those results will be seen if we put hand to plow. Right. If we are consistent, if we if we stay on message, we did a program where we talked about how the liberals, man, they man. are messaging goals like they yes. just they just don't give up. They, right. they have this one note that they seem to sing without apology. And we we're all over the place. We're just grabbing yeah. notes here, grabbing. We're, we're right. no. But but we have a message that is not one that we have crafted. Come on. We have a message that has been handed down to us, mm. right? That if we just stay on message, there is no way for us to be defeated. And I don't, again, I'm not trying to sound like somebody's got to start the slow clap. That's not <laughs> what I'm doing here. But what I'm saying is, do we believe that the gospel as presented through believers, that it changes culture and changes society? Do we wow. have a record of that? We absolutely have a record of that. So why question. haven't we seen it? Why, why haven't we seen that in our generation? And that's the question, well, because do we, we ha- believe? Do we, we haven't. Do we yeah. believe it? And why? I, mean, I we think seen that's it? why we haven't seen it. Yeah, we don't because believe believing it. it means that you would live it. Yes, yes. Back to this article, the human relations. Um, did I? I think I already read that. Okay, so for example, the school district hosted a virtual conference that featured a panel of queer seventh graders. Wow, queer seventh graders to advise parents on what their quote queer middle schoolers want you to know. The conference also included a presentation encouraging queer athletes to, quote, come out. A workshop on, quote, International Transgender Day of Visibility said, quote, history has a disturbing way of elevating certain voices while silencing others. The presentation focused on raising awareness for the transgender community to achieve, quote, trans justice. Why does this matter? Because this is unrelenting pushing and staying on message. 
All right, we'll grab the break. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Lord, we will wait on you. Yes, we will wait on you. You are still on your throne, still in control. Lord, we will wait on you. Yes, we Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. Today's topic, Civilization's Only Hope. Jesus in you, the gospel that you carry, civilization's only hope. We cannot detach our responsibility, right, from the hope that is available to those who would believe. We, we carry that. That's it's amazing. It, it's like um, it, it's it's like a I don't know. It, it's like a doctor having a remedy to an ailment and saying, oh, man, there's got to be a fix for this. I know there's a fix for this. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and but then having like the vial in the satchel, like but but you're there. You're, you actually have it. Right. You you have the hope that people desperately need. Right. So you and, and you present that hope when you tell the truth. Do you understand that a gospel presentation is often presented right when you tell people actually no, that, that's sin? <laughs> yeah. Well. How do you how do you get to discussions about sin and what is righteousness and what is unrighteousness? How do you how do you get to discussions about eternity if you don't first start with where a person is, like what they are experiencing in culture right now at this at this moment? Mm. How do you how do you just you know, I, I think it's and I'll go back to this article and then I've got another one. You got to talk about Miriam Webster that's expanding its definition of male and female. This and these are the two articles that I wanted to couple today. Like it, there is an all out attack yeah. on truth in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And the very vulnerable among us are at highest risk. Right. And so, man, and, and who, who, who are they? They are our children. They are our children. They're our children and they're our grandchildren and they can still be shaped. We can't give up on that. They can still Amen. be shaped. And, Amen. and, and if, if you don't believe that what God calls you to do is fruitful, Right. Like if you don't believe that, which just the very fact that God has called us to rear our children, to train them, to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Just the very fact that he has called us to do that should be proof that it's effective. It should be that call should say to us that that it works. Mm. But if that were not enough, just look at the opposition. Look at what they're doing. Like if you if you could if you look at our culture today and see the decline in every single area possible. Yeah. In every single area possible, you see the decline. There's a decline in academia. There, there is a decline in the church. Guys, mm. there's decline in the church. There's decline in media. There's, there's decline in our lower levels of education. So our K-12 schools, there's decline. If in every area you can see the result of discipleship in a negative sense, if you can see the result of evangelism in a negative sense, yeah. like why wouldn't, why wouldn't that motivate us to say, you know what, man, we got to, okay. At some, some, somebody has got to stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, but that's the big question. Why wouldn't it motivate us? Like what, what, it, what will it take for there to be a, a, a wholesale or uh, just a general motivation for these things that we're talking about? Like, with all the evidence and things that's before us and what we see happening, what do you think it would take? Like, what will it take? Yeah, I honestly, I think um, 
Well, there's a couple of things that I think in response. One, I think, is the stirring of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer. Mm. And that comes often by prayer. And people are unwilling to invite that stirring, like they're unwilling to feel that burden. Mm. So I think in a, in a um, simple yet powerful way, I think crying out and asking the Lord to burden you with the responsibility that is yours. Yes. Like burden me with the responsibility that is the proliferation of the gospel. Lord, if, like if, if you don't have that burden to ask the Lord to give you that burden, right? So that we, we actually minister from a place of, and I don't mean a burden of like sin weighing you down, right? Mm. Like think, mm-hmm. think more of a burden, like a, a responsibility that the Lord has entrusted this gospel to me. And so that it then is not like a, um, it's not a burden that you're trying to get rid of. It's a burden that motivates you to action. Yeah. That man, I've received the gospel. I I know that it's possible to get the gospel to people intact because I've received it, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that there's got to be first that that point of prayer where you're like, Lord, burden my heart in ways that my heart has not been burdened. If you're just content to kind of live, you know, this good, comfortable life. And kind of content that, yeah, you know, my kids don't really truly understand the gospel, but they are successful in other ways. Mm. If that is enough to kind of like satisfy you, then you have to repent of that. You have to repent of that. You know, I can't tell you how many times people, you know, kind of recount or maybe not recount, but they 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 express the the result of their the rearing of their children. And what they often lead with are all of the things that could be present in the life of a person who doesn't know Jesus yeah, and, and they, and they dub that a success. Right. And, and I'm going, I'm going, but anybody could achieve that. Yeah. Like the, the real eternal oh, work man. is that we present the gospel to our children and that they come to meet Jesus, that they come to acknowledge that they are sinners and that the wrath of God remains on them unless they repent of that sin and turn to him, unless they accept the sacrifice, accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that he paid the debt that you could not pay, but you fully owed it, by the way. You fully owed it. Jesus didn't just do you a solid, right? Like you fully owed that. You, you should have paid that debt. And Jesus paid that debt. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus in your place, in your place. And that if you repent of your sin, that you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe that his sacrifice is totally sufficient, you have eternal life. If that is not enough to burden us to understand that we've got to get that to our kids first and foremost, we've got to get that to our grandkids. By the way, well, just side note, it was it was wonderful to also encounter grandparents picking their kids up from camp last yeah. week. Yeah, I, I, I was able to put more faces of grandparents to the calls that we issue on a regular basis. Like you have a responsibility to your posterity. You have a gospel responsibility to your posterity. If the parents are too busy, if the parents don't know, if the parents have rejected and yet you remain faithful, you have a responsibility to those grandkids. But the other thing is this, I think, because your, your question is, you know, why aren't, why aren't we doing this? Why, why haven't we taken this seriously? I think for many of us, and, and unfortunately this is the point at which it becomes too late. It's not hit home for us yet. Mm. I think as long as it's other people's kids who are coming home and saying they identify in this way, as long as it's that person's daughter yeah. who is confused and dressing the part, I think we kind of we 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 kind of are like I'm okay. And even okay. in that, I think we don't understand that in a lot of cases, e- even if our kids are not that kid, they mm-hmm. have become allies, you know, with 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 that kid. So and, listen, you know, <laughs> unless 
And until Christians understand that the word of God is fully authoritative, right, then there are just going to be some aspects that we just pick and choose that we like. And and usually the parts that we pick and choose are going to be the parts that make us feel good. Yeah. Like that's our default. We just kind of want to be affirmed. We have, um, we have shaped the Bible, um, not literally, but sort of in practice, we have shaped the Bible uh, into a self-help manual where we pick out the parts that um, teach us how to be successful in business. We pick out the parts that teach us how to be happy emotionally. Um, we pick out the parts that have promises of judgment for those who have wronged us. That's good, right? Like, yeah, vengeance is the Lord's. And so, and so then we just insert the name of our enemy. He's going to get them. Like we, you know, we, we pick out those parts, but those parts that um, cause great introspection and, and demand repentance, we just try to ignore. Mm. When we read Romans chapter one, and it's very easy for us to see God's case against humanity and the people who have suppressed the knowledge of God and unrighteousness. We're, they, we're very comfortable looking at those people. Those are the people over there that have, you know, um, given up the natural use for a woman and become inflamed with lust for one another. Men with men doing what is indecent, what should not be done. Right. And receiving in themselves the due penalty for their sin. The Apostle Paul wrote in mm-hmm. his letter to the Romans. So we we are very comfortable identifying those people, those people who are the idolaters. Right. Those people who have exchanged the image of God for those that are, those things that are made like we. We are very comfortable identifying those people. However, when you get to, to verse 32 in chapter one, yeah. the Bible is very clear that not only is God's case made against people who do those things, but God's case is against those who give approval to those who do those things. Mm. It's Romans 132. Why do we overlook that so frequently? And better yet, let me let me ask a better question. What is it that you think the enemy knows? Because by the way, he is acquainted with scripture. Okay. Like knows the word of God. All right. Um, Knows the word of God. So what is it that you think the enemy might be privy to that would push for allies and advocates in our country, the way it has been pushed and pressed upon our kids? Hmm. Like why, why would we need advocates? Why would we need allies? Yeah. There's the very temporal reason that we need allies and advocates because we have an agenda that we're trying to advance, but isn't there also an eternal reason that you would want allies and advocates because you would want people to be invited into sin. Yeah. You would, you, it would serve your eternal purpose. Remember we're talking about a war of kingdoms. This is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the devil. And I understand people are just like, oh, Mickey, come on. Like, I mean, you've you've made (laughs) the enemy of your soul a fairy tale Mm. pitchfork and horns and red face. (laughs) And and you have adopted that and then been rendered ineffective in engaging a culture that is ripe with sin and, and wickedness. And so when we when we underestimate the enemy, when we don't understand that we're talking about a battle of kingdoms, right, when we don't understand that. And then we don't war effectively. So you have to think what eternal purpose would it serve for the enemy's kingdom advancement? What eternal purpose would it serve for the enemy's kingdom advancement that your kids would affirm sin, that your kids would give their approval, that they would say, well, you know, I wouldn't do that, but I think it's good for that person to be able to do that. And then also let's go a step further. Why would the Bible condemn that affirmation as sin? Why? Because it's like a person who's guys, I'm be very real here. Yeah. When we have questions about, you know, there was a story a few years ago 
of a girl who, um, and I, I can't remember how all the details actually finally shook out, but in a series of text messages, she was encouraging a young man to take his own life. He was, he was threatening that he was going to take his own life. And she was on the other end, sending him text messages that he should do it, that he should do it. And, and then he did. And the question was, should she be responsible? Is she, is she responsible for his suicide? Did she contribute, contribute to his taking of his own life? And in a very real sense, she did. She was. Now think about that eternally. When we affirm people toward destruction, we are participating in that destruction. Wow. We are commending them to destruction. Guys, this is very serious. And like God is not overlooking this in the people who think. And this is why the the critical theorists and whatever their strand is, whatever their particular bent is, the critical Mm -hmm. theorists, whether it's the critical queer theorists or the critical race theorists or the critical gender theorists or the critical whatever theorists, the all of these people call for affirmation. They say you don't have to participate, but you, you do need to be an ally. You do need to be affirming. You need to be an advocate. This is why they, this is, this is Ibram, uh, Ibram X. Kendi's be an anti-racist, right? Which calls right. for activism. Action. Yeah. You guys have to ask, okay, so wait, so why, why does this matter? Because what you are being invited to do is to be a willing and vocal participant and someone's destruction. Mm. So would would God hold you guiltless in that? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, it just, even if it didn't like make sense to you, which it does make sense, it's the word of God. Yeah. It's the word of God. If you are affirming someone to destruction, how are you not a party to that destruction? Right. How in the world? I mean, just of course, by like you, just by way of reason, that would make sense that that would be true. And yet here we are, we are, our kids are inundated with all kinds of um, messages mm-hmm. and calls to be advocates and to be allies. And they are shocked when they learn that that is sin. Yeah. And by the way, they are shocked when they learn it. <laughs> yes. I'm telling you firsthand. Yes. They're shocked when they learn it. It causes the kind of slap across the nose that stings. But I can tell you something from a place of hope and what I observed even just this past week. Our kids are actually very, very thirsty for truth. Come on. They're very, very thirsty for truth. And they are asking tough questions of scripture. But here's something that was encouraging to me. They believe the Bible to be authoritative. <laughs> they, they actually want to know, hey, what does the Bible say? Mm-hmm. Is, that, mm-hmm. is that sin to do that? Is it wrong to do that? What does the Bible say? And so then the question becomes, if you've got all of these different points of indoctrination and yet here we are with the eternal truth of God and we remain silent, man, are we held responsible for that? Do, will we give an account for what we have done with the truth? If we have been civilization's only hope and God made it so because of Christ in us, the hope of glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And yet we obscure that. We keep that away from people. Are we are we responsible? So all across this country, our kids are being like kind of, you know, led like lambs to the slaughter and what we call public schooling. They are they are being led like lambs to the slaughter and what we call public schooling. And and what what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to do the difficult work 
Or are we going to just lament that work as difficult and leave it for someone else? Mm. All right, we're out of time. Your civilization's only hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless. <laughs>